0: Did you know that students get it free? The Irish Times offers a free digital subscription to all full-time undergraduates. Keep up to date for free with quality journalism and reporting. Claim yours today at irishtimes.com slash subscribe slash student.
1: Last week, a mysterious act of sabotage with all the hallmarks of what's known as hybrid warfare was carried out in the Baltic Sea
2: bubbling to the top of the Baltic Sea, gas leaching from Russia's Nord Stream pipelines. European officials believe this was the result of sabotage.
1: The four separate gas leaks posed a safety risk to ships, threatened ecosystems and sent energy prices spiralling again. But the event also has a sinister implication for Russia's war in Ukraine and its relationship with Europe.
2: Irrespective of who actually did that, if that's now a new arena of conflict, that means that all the member states in the EU are going to be looking at what their vulnerabilities are.
1: If sabotaging critical infrastructure is now on the table, just how vulnerable is Ireland? Attention is turning to the submarine cables off Ireland's coast, the digital arteries that travel across the Atlantic and keep our world connected.
2: This is how international financial transactions are done. It's how, uh, you know, for example, video streaming works. It's obviously really important, particularly for Ireland because of our tech industry.
1: And it throws new light on those so-called naval drills carried out by Russia in Irish waters earlier this year.
0: In a modern day David and Goliath story, I just love this story. Irish fishermen are celebrating after Russia backed off a plan for live naval exercises off the Irish coast.
1: I'm Connor Pope and this is In The News from The Irish Times. Today, what does the Nord Stream sabotage mean for Ireland, for Europe and for the world? Naomi O'Leary is The Irish Times Europe correspondent. Naomi, can we start maybe with the Nord Stream one and two gas pipelines? They're the major gas connections between Russia and the EU and last week multiple explosions were detected along the pipelines. What do we know about those explosions and the damage that was done?
2: Suddenly, There was a a loss of pressure detected along the Nord Stream uh, pipelines one and two. This all happened in a very short space of time and it was established that there were a number of leaks. were Initially reported as three, now Sweden is saying it's actually four leaks.
1: The Swedish coast guard is now clarifying
2: that there was this fourth leak already. It's a smaller leak than the first one they detected. Uh, This caused huge bubbles of gas to rise up through the Baltic Sea, which is actually quite dangerous for ships, as well as being uh, environmentally damaging. Because these leaks suddenly happened all at the same time in different locations, the conclusion has been that this was deliberate. Uh, That's what European leaders have been saying. We have
0: Swedish intelligence, but we have also received information in our contacts with Denmark. And based on this, concluded that this is probably a deliberate act. It is probably a matter of sabotage.
2: But as to the context of how it was done, who did it, that's still very much in the air.
1: Naomi, last week during a ceremony to annex four regions of Ukraine into Russia, Putin openly accused Western states of blowing up the pipelines. Anglo-Saxons are not happy with the sanctions. They moved to terrorist attacks, having arranged explosions on the gas pipelines in, in the sea. But really, I suppose the suspicion is still very much that Russia is behind the sabotage. So what have other European leaders said about the incidents and have they actually pointed the finger at Putin's Russia?
2: Leaders have in general been quite careful not to get into attribution at this stage. Um, They did come out quite quickly to say that this was deliberate. Now, Russia, uh, a spokesperson from the um, Kremlin, Dmitry Peskov, has said that it's not in their interest to do this. The EU said the leaks had been caused by sabotage. Russia dismissed those suggestions that it attacked its own pipelines as predictable and stupid. These are the pipelines that deliver gas or were delivering gas uh, to the EU before the energy dispute. So they say, you know, it's not in our interest for this gas to be bubbling out into the sky. Um, this is uh, We've just lost a way to sell our gas to Europe. Um, however, this does come in a context when the EU and Russia are in a major energy dispute. Mm. Um, so what it's seen as is an escalation in that kind of dangerous escalation with uh, infrastructure, critical infrastructure being hit, um, which just really brings this conflict to a new level.
1: And of course, we all know that gas markets have been extremely volatile in recent months. And we've seen price spikes of more than a thousand percent. And this news sent prices spiralling again. And that's despite the fact that the pipelines currently supply very little gas to the EU, I think around 20 percent. So this has been another big step in disrupting the energy market in Europe. And I wonder, is it a sign maybe, Naomi, that the market has changed permanently or at least for the long term? Yeah. Especially if we don't get any kind of gas supplies from Nord Stream.
2: So neither of these pipelines were at the time that they were hit actually delivering gas to the EU. One, because it was never switched on um, due to essentially the the conflict and the changed uh, dynamic uh, regarding Russian gas. The other one, because uh, Russia had already turned it off. So the gas that's spilling out is just remaining gas that was actually inside the pipeline that wasn't actually flowing. What this does, therefore, it doesn't it doesn't reduce the amount of Russian gas that's currently flowing to the EU, but it sort mm. of draws a, a line, a full stop on the prospect of that supply resuming. So really, it, what it's quite serious uh, for is next winter. That's what we're hearing is that supply will be very difficult next winter. The EU has already filled up all of its um, storage capacity to nearly completely full using Russian gas uh, while it was still flowing. But next winter, they won't have that option. They'll be relying mostly on LNG. Um, So there's very, very little Russian gas coming to Europe now. Uh, It's already dropped from about 40% of the EU's gas needs to about 9%. Um, And and the Russian energy giant Gazprom has suggested it may turn off the last remaining tap um, or route which runs through Ukraine.
1: And of course, some analysts have been suggesting in recent days that Russia is behind this and they're behind it because they want to threaten European infrastructure and they're making this point that they could attack other pipelines. For example, there's a new pipeline between Norway and Poland that could be similarly targeted. If that's true, it's kind of frightening, isn't it? Because that would mean that Russia is now willing to escalate the conflict in a way that could make life very uncomfortable for us, but could also see the conflict spilling over into Europe in a more meaningful way.
2: With attacks like this, mysterious sabotage, a lot of the time, in order to place attribution, context is relied upon. And that's probably why analysts are looking to Russia, because the context is that the EU and Russia are in a dispute over energy. And the reasons that you could come up with why Russia might want to do this is to, again, send gas prices higher, Uh, which their previous acts in terms of further switching off pipelines and stuff, they had had a limited uh, ability to do so. So they were sort of hitting a wall with how much further they could push the gas price up. This reintroduced uh, serious instability. It also, like you say, it raises the atmosphere of tension and insecurity. It has EU leaders asking themselves where else might be vulnerable. Uh, What else could be hit? Uh, They're scrambling now to increase security on other critical infrastructure. And so this does have some of the hallmarks of a hybrid war um, attack in that it's difficult to place attribution um, and it seems to be seeking to influence the decision-making of the target while falling below the thresholds of attribution of um, the kind of level of attack that would trigger retaliation.
1: Now, you mentioned a phrase there, hybrid war. And you've been writing in the Irish Times about this hybrid warfare toolkit. I'd say for a lot of people, that phrase is entirely new. So what does it mean?
2: Hybrid war refers to this grey area, uh, which is it, it's a characteristic of um, current day conflict in that you don't have the traditional clear cut hot and cold conflicts, but you have a whole area of attacks which are difficult to classify. Sometimes it's unclear where they're coming from. They might not even be detected. And as I say, there's a lot of dancing around the level of severity of attacks that would trigger response. So in recent years, we've seen an increase in um, in these methods, they've become more characteristic of uh, current geopolitics. And we've also seen an increase in the phenomenon of mysterious critical infrastructure sabotage. So attacks on infrastructure, which are really quite hard to pin down in terms of who was responsible.
1: Can you give me any examples, Naomi, of these kind of attacks? Like, where have we seen them and who's been targeted?
2: Sure. Sure. Well, a major turning point in this was um, the attacks in Estonia in 2007. Uh, that happened at a time of tension when the local Russian population of Estonia uh, were rioting over the m- proposed removal uh, of a Soviet-era um, monument to Um, So it came at a time of tension and suddenly there were waves of really extreme um, cyber attacks on all key Estonian critical infrastructure. So banks, media, telecommunications, waves of them all happening at the same time. This was uh, attributed to uh, Russian sources, mostly due to context. um, And it's seen as a turning point in kind of a demonstration of what hybrid attacks can do. Um, this really, it ground the country to a halt, um, and it also, it was a turning point for Estonia in terms of building its digital security. Since then, um, we've seen cyber attacks have become a feature of, uh, of modern life, and just as in Estonia, it's often very difficult to distinguish, are they criminal groups acting independently? Are they criminal groups that have the backing of a state? Or are they just uh, state forces which are masquerading as criminal groups? Uh, This is very difficult to sort out. And like I say, a lot of the time uh, you rely on context to interpret uh, who could be responsible. Um, So there's been large scale attacks on electricity networks. For example, the Dutch electricity network was taken offline uh, not too long ago. And something that might be relevant uh, to our discussion now is the attacks in France on fiber optic cables.
1: France's internet is down after suspected strikes. Internet access was delayed or unavailable in numerous French towns on Wednesday as a result of suspected attacks on fiber optic cables. According to media reports, can you tell me a little bit about those attacks in France, Naomi?
2: Yeah, so to run through what happened there earlier this year, Fibre-optic cables were essentially dug up and cut in uh, a number of uh, key locations in a coordinated way overnight. Uh, this, um, This came to light in April. It knocked out uh, internet access and phone access in different regions of France. And what had been targeted were the, these important sort of highways of information that connect different French regions um, to the internet. Um, so these cables were dug up in several locations all at once, and they were cut in a way that made them really difficult to repair. So they, they would be taken offline for you know, a significant period. And what's kind of even stranger is that a similar thing happened in 2020 in the Paris region. Again, uh, fiber op- optic cables were dug up and cut in this coordinated way, uh, like it was planned, like someone knew, how, had looked at how the system worked and had uh, deliberately attacked in several points at once in order to cause uh, the maximum disruption. And tens of thousands of people lost their internet connection temporarily due to that um, incident. Mm both of the um, incidents of sabotage are are mysterious. They're mysterious critical infrastructure attacks uh, that haven't been clearly attributed.
1: I suppose the question then is, what's the point of an attack like that? I mean, if no one claims responsibility for it, what does it achieve? Because I would imagine digging up fibre optic cables and cutting them in in such a way as to make them very difficult to to reattach. Like, that's a complex operation. Who does it and why?
2: Well, we don't know is the short answer, if a state wanted to do something like that, it could be an interesting exercise to find out information, uh, to test out uh, the result of a certain action, and to, yeah, to figure out where the weak points are. That's one of this the sort of deciding factors in, in this kind of infrastructure attack. It's opportunistic. What tend to be targeted are weak points, um, and whether these are cyber attacks or, uh, or physical sabotage. Um, So we we don't know is the short answer to that. Mm.
1: Coming up, just how vulnerable is Ireland to these kinds of critical infrastructure attacks? Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's.
0: Let's get this dinner party started.
1: And I suppose you mentioned cyber attacks and we're all too familiar with the consequences of a cyber attack in this country. I mean, it it seems like a long time ago now, but the the HSE ransomware attack was a really big deal. The HSE says it's working to contain a very sophisticated human-operated ransomware attack on its IT systems. However, no ransom demand has yet been made. Is there any sense that that was a kind of an opportunistic testing of our systems, or was that just a criminal enterprise, or do we know?
2: It's very difficult to distinguish in many cases because you could have the simple profit motive, or yes, it could be a test. Um, in that case, there's a you know there's a lot of valuable data which was probably stolen in that occasion, and so there's you know there's motive for whether it's criminal actors or whether it's data actors to do it, or some sort of combination of the two. But yes, certainly, In um, I won't speak about the HSE t- attack in specifically, but in general, yes, cyber attacks mm. um, can uh, have that kind of blend of criminal and state backing, where it's difficult to distinguish the two, but they're probably going after data, C- causing insecurity, testing for weak points, uh, figuring out what the response could be, generally increasing security and yeah, changing the decision making of the target is key.
0: You can imagine you know, if the two of us are here and next thing a rocket goes psh, 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 flying over your head and you're going, Jesus, what was that? Irish fishermen worried about rockets that would be fired as part of a Russian military exercise off the Irish coast this week. We don't want anyone doing life fire in our waters like.
1: It's it's our backyard, it's where we make our living and our livelihoods. Now earlier this year, just before Russia invaded Ukraine, in fact, Irish fishermen made headlines when they sought to stop this Russian fleet carrying out exercises in Irish waters.
0: Irish fishermen are celebrating after Russia backed off a plan for live naval exercises off the Irish coast. The fishermen worried about their livelihoods and called the Russian ambassador. Some even declared they would peacefully disrupt the war games.
1: And there was speculation at the time that those exercises were effectively a Russian fact-finding mission, a test of EU weak spots when it comes to critical underwater infrastructure. Do we have any more clarity now as to whether that might have been the case?
2: I think the suspicions were raised about uh, that being an intelligence gathering operation by Russia uh, because uh, Russia has spy ships, uh, spy submarines that uh, undertake surveillance. And the particular geographical location that the naval exercises were planned for happens to be where these crucial submarine cables uh, come up over the Atlantic shelf and are at their shallowest point. So if you wanted to go and look at them, try and figure out how many cables are there, what kind are they, where are they exactly, pinpoint the location, that would be a good point to do it. So for those reasons, um, there were suspicions that the true intention behind those exercises was uh, intelligence gathering.
1: Now you mentioned cables, and I suppose one of the difficulties we might have getting our heads around this kind of stuff is all of this stuff is invisible to us. We don't see all of these cables. Are there many of them running across the Atlantic? And like, are, are, Is there much of that critical infrastructure in Irish waters or close to Ireland?
2: Yeah, Ireland is a really significant fulcrum for um, data flows. In total, there's roughly 400 of these submarine um, fibre optic cables around the world. And what they are is really the arteries of the digital age this is how international financial transactions are done it's how uh, you know for example video streaming works if you're accessing your documents online if they're stored in some sort of cloud service uh, they may well be traveling to along these cables they're not very um, wide they're only about the width of a garden hose so they are quite physically vulnerable they can sometimes be accidentally snapped by uh, fishing craft for example um, and yeah, Ireland has roughly 16 of them um, running off its coast. Uh, it's obviously really important, particularly for Ireland because of our tech industry. Mm. We have the headquarters of the major multinational tech companies f- for the all of Europe based in Ireland. Um, so it's particularly important for that. And because we have so many data centers and we have quite a digitalized economy, the the importance of these cables is that It's really how international communication works. Now, we could look at some past examples of times when cables were uh, damaged or cut to look at what could happen were they to be targeted in a critical infrastructure attack. Vietnam at one point uh, lost uh, one of its two major submarine cables, one connecting it with Hong Kong. And the government at the time blamed it on fishermen. They said that fishermen had accidentally actually pulled it up for scrap. And this took many, many weeks to repair. But luckily, Vietnam had another alternative connection uh, running to China, which it was able to rely on for that period. So you might see, say, a slowing down in the Internet, uh, but it wouldn't be cut out right. Um, now, that underlines something important, which is that there because there's a network of these cables, which has become more and more complex you could have internet traffic uh, rerouted if a cable was to be cut or damaged and actually that does happen all the time because they do as I say accidentally get cut by things like fishing craft so you could have data flows rerouted if an actor wanted to cause the maximum disruption through sabotage what they would want to do is study this network carefully and hit several places at once in order to prevent data traffic simply being rerouted and to make it as onerous as possible to repair.
1: And do you think, Naomi, Ireland is particularly vulnerable to attacks on this critical infrastructure because of our island status and our relatively small military setup?
2: Yeah, Ireland, I think it's... uh, broadly considered to be particularly vulnerable because we don't actually currently have much capacity to monitor those cables or indeed our, our fishing waters or, our, you know, our territorial waters. Um, we don't have the ability to actually see and know what's going on because of our limited uh, naval capacity and lack of radar and so on. And we also, apart from monitoring and just like uh, seeing, gathering information and so on, we don't have much uh, of a ability to guard Um, and defend that infrastructure either. So yeah, we are particularly vulnerable. We would probably need to rely on international allies uh, if such a thing were to happen, which is something that um, happened to happen actually in the cyber attack on the HSE, where we we did get help from from the EU in terms of uh, bringing everything back online. Um, So yeah, it's definitely a vulnerable point.
1: And is that vulnerability a concern in the corridors of power in the EU? I mean, is it something that people within the European Union are talking about like what do we do about Ireland and is Ireland the weak underbelly of the European Union's information architecture?
2: I don't think it is top of mind uh, for most people at the moment mostly because Ireland is relatively geographically distant from the sort of hot spots uh, at the moment. You do definitely hear from analysts and military analysts that Ireland is a bit of a weak point we de facto kind of fall under the NATO umbrella because the British RAF uh, is called out to um has scrambled jets um to escort for example Russian craft out of our airspace when they've been um there probably testing our RAF response times um, so it's not a major topic of conversation but yeah it definitely there definitely i think is an awareness that you know Ireland isn't uh, doesn't have much military means um that's that's definitely the case. I think there's also an awareness that this is a really delicate domestic debate in Ireland, mm. and something that Irish politicians and the Irish public have to sort of talk about and um, decide on among themselves.
1: So, as you say, we're we're kind of reliant on others: the US, the UK, NATO, the European Union. Can we rely on these people and were there to be a major crisis or were there to be a major targeted attack on this critical infrastructure coming into Ireland, do you reckon they'd come and help us out?
2: I think definitely, yes. Um, That's part of the deal, I think, of being in the EU, that allies would would come to our aid. It's also in the interests of uh, the US and also the UK and the EU uh, not to have uh, Ireland... Um, vulnerable or suffering from an attack. So I think there definitely would be help for sure. So something that military analysts point out though is that there is a cost to that kind of reliance Um, and it's that Ireland has to ask for help and it doesn't necessarily get to set its own strategic objectives. So it's others who are sort of setting the strategic objective and then Ireland has to just go along with it. You can you can ask for help, but it does it limits the amount of maneuver that Ireland has strategically.
1: And I suppose finally Naomi with this sabotage on, on the Nord Stream pipelines and this increased targeting of critical infrastructure across the European Union, is there now more tension over the relationship that exists between the EU and Russia than there was even six weeks ago? Like, are things getting worse? Because it certainly seems on the surface like they are getting much worse.
2: Yes, definitely. This um, sabotage on the pipelines is viewed as having brought this conflict to the new level. If infrastructure sabotage is now on the table, irrespective of who actually did um, that, uh, who actually damaged the Nord Stream pipelines, if that's now a new arena of conflict, that means that all... The member states in the EU are going to be looking at what their vulnerabilities are. It's just another uh, thing for them to have to worry about. You mentioned, um, you know, there was some talk of the vulnerability potentially of the new Baltic pipe between Poland and Norway. That was opened pretty much simultaneously as these attacks occurred. So that's a kind of a significant context. That pipeline that was opened between Norway and Poland was celebrated as a way for the EU to move away from energy dependence on Russia. So it's kind of a meaningful moment for such an attack to happen, and it underlines that you know what's what's being targeted here is Europe's energy security. It's proved a very effective thing for Russia to target in terms of getting results. Um, it's really had a very significant economic and social and political uh, result. Um, playing on the vulnerabilities of Europe's energy needs.
1: Naomi Leary, thank you very much for talking to us. Thank you. That's it for today. This episode of In The News was produced by Suzanne Brennan, Declan Conlon and Aidan Finnegan. We'll be back on Wednesday. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.